All right, let's go ahead and get started. I do not want to do what I did last week, and that's go right till 10 minutes before church started. So I'd like to be finished a little earlier so people have a chance to go to the bathroom and um, but before we get started, I want to um, want to pray. Uh, Anna Jones um, is on my prayer list for today. Anything else that I need to pray about before we get started? Quick, quick announcement on that. I think whoever's going to do announcements today, I'll announce it again over there. But there's a meal plan set up, and they do need some meals because of the way that her house is set up. It's hard for her to get in and out, and anyway. Okay. So I think there's a couple signed up already, but go online and take a look at that. You heard my it here dad, first. My dad is have, starting a new chemo on um, tomorrow. His new round starts tomorrow, but it's a different kind. And his kidney stone surgery was a success, and he's feeling uh, much better. <coughs> Any other prayer requests? All right, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started for today. Father, we are grateful for another day, a chance to come before you, to worship, to learn, to study, to hear what you've got to say to us today about our families. Uh, Father, we thank you for the the praise in Lori's dad that his kidney stone surgery went very well. Uh, Father, we pray as his new chemo starts tomorrow um, that you will allow the medicine to do what it's intended to do. that he may quickly move past this into, um, into, into health, Lord. And Father, we pray for Anna. Um, in some ways, walk to that path, and I know how difficult that is. And, and Father, I pray for comfort for her and for David during this time. Father, I pray for quick healing, that her body would, would respond quickly and uh, trust and faith during this time. Um, because it's so easy and difficulty to lose lose that. Uh, Father, uh, be with us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, last week we talked about two books. Thank you, John, for getting a couple of copies of each of these books. Um, my encouragement to you, if you're interested in this, first of all, I'm not just going to randomly hand these out. You need to come ask me for them. Uh, secondly, if I'm handing you a book, I expect you to read it which means I'm coming after you to say, so what would you think of chapter one? What would you think of chapter two? Um, This is the book I would recommend you to start. Because a lot of the stuff that we went over last week um, on manhood um, was directly in line with this. Now, I went through scripture. He did too. And a lot of the titles are things that he came out of this with. So this would be where I would have you start. This is excellent, but this is history heavy. Okay, so the first two, three chapters in this book, which Sean and Pam and I are reading through this um, in the evenings, it's dense. Okay, so I would start here and then go to here, but this is good. If you understand what's going on in society right now, this will make complete sense to you. Um, so these are available. Come talk to me if you want one. Um, that being said, let's talk about <coughs> kind of where we were last week. And I'm not going to go over all of it, but if you missed last week, please listen to the lesson 
because I can't cover everything in the next two minutes of what we covered before. But the the things that we talked about was the the kingly role of the kingly role, role of the husband and the father, the husband's role of a man, the father role of a man, the priest role of a man in this home. Um, and I'm actually coming back to that to start. So I need you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because to talk about moms and to talk about kids, we have to start here. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now we're going to spend a little time here in Deuteronomy because this is the foundation of everything else that we're going to talk about today. So we're going to take this a piece at a time. I'm going to we're eventually get through verse 15. So let's start at verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which Yahweh your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do it in the land where you're going over to possess it. Verse 2, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear Yahweh your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Now, who is speaking here? Who wrote the book of Deuteronomy? Moses. Good. Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Who's Moses talking to? Israelites. Okay, let's be a little more specific. The dads, now moms are included in this, but the dads are ultimately responsible. We talked about that last week, right? Dads are ultimately responsible for what goes on in their home. So he's talking to the dads and the moms. And it's interesting in this, these first two verses, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, he uses either the word commandment, commanding, statute, or judgment. Kids, this is important for you. This is a commandment to fathers. God is telling them, you must do this. This is important. Now, and it says, and I kind of added the second part here. Uh, that you might do it. Now this is the commandment, the statute, the judgments, which Yahweh your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do it. Not think about it. Not have it in your mind. Do it. So who is this for? Verse 2. Sons and your son's son. Sons and your grandsons. Now, so ladies, before you go, I don't see that doesn't apply to me. The Hebrew word ben, which is what this word is for both sons and grandsons. In the Hebrew it says your sons and your sons. In the Hebrew, the word ben can mean a couple of things. It can mean son. It can mean any child of any gender. And it can mean any child of any descendant of that gender, of that, of that father. So regardless of which way you cut this, it's for every single person in that family. Whether it's 
the dad, the son, or the son's disobedient, the grandson, granddaughter. If the dad's disobedient, the grandchildren are still responsible to follow this. And I must get verse 3 because 3 and 3 is the specific promise to Israel. But what we're doing here is we're seeing the big idea that God has for the Father. Verse 5. Here's, here's the commandment. The entire book of uh, the entire Torah is the, the Israelites would talk about these are the laws that we're supposed to follow. If you work your way through Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you discover in, in parts of Exodus there's a lot of laws, right? But look what he does here. When Jesus is asked what's the greatest law in the book, he says, and he's quoting this verse, you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, so before you start to think of this as that that verse that everybody quotes, let's think of it from how this is in your life today when you go home. In your heart, the things that you think about, the things that you ruminate on and spend time in your brain on, your soul, that connected to your emotion and your might, how you physically act. This is all of life. Your love for God should be involved in your mind and your heart and your life, your physical action. That's what he's saying. This is your command. So dads, <coughs> and, and in the material that I sent out an email, there was a fairly long podcast, uh, 63 minutes on family worship. There was an article by John MacArthur on, on um, parental responsibility to children. There was a Neuheiser podcast about 38 minutes on... Um, families and children and and dealing with difficulties with children. Um, But it all comes down to the same thing. And it comes down to the question that we asked today. had a couple of conversations this week about this. Um, What does family worship look like? Okay. Now, when, when somebody says family worship, let me see if I can capture this picture. So close your eyes. Let me see if I can capture this picture in your mind. Dad sitting in a nice chair with a Bible open in his lap, children um, smiling, sitting on the floor facing dad, mom wrapped attention on dad's face, and he's reading through the scriptures and everybody's happy. Isn't that the picture we like to have in our minds? Some of us have tried to do that. How did that work? Start the fire early. Yeah. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. There you go. Okay. All right. It doesn't exactly play out that way, but is that what Scripture tells us to do? <laughs> what? Okay. Does that say that that's a bad thing? No. If that works in your house, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. Please continue. But is that what Scripture commands you to do? This is where we come here. Okay, what does family worship look like in your house? Follow with me. 
Verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today, he just gave us those words, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Okay? These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Where's the starting place for family worship? Your heart has to be right. And kids, we're going to get to that. Hearts are a big deal. Big deal in God's eyes. Starts with the heart. Okay, dads, here you go. You shall teach them, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. Not Tuesday, today, and then three weeks from now on Thursday, and then five weeks from now on Saturday. (coughs) Diligently. It needs to be regular. Well, how regular? That's a great question. So let's look and continue. To your... Uh, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And this is that word Ben. So your daughters, your grandchildren, those of you that don't have kids at home anymore, this doesn't stop. And you shall speak of them. So this is an ongoing conversation. When? Keep, well, keep reading. When you sit in your house. Okay, there we go. That family worship idea we had, right? So that's part of it, Right? When you walk by the way, you're out going to the store and something happens and you're like, ah, Scripture speaks to that. What does that look like? We all, have, we all walk through life every day and we all go to the store or the mall or a restaurant and we see things all day long. And some things are things that you look at and just shake your head. Some things you look at and you're like, oh my goodness. Right? How can you take those things and bring the conversation back? If for us, how would this look like God loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength in this situation? Okay? This is not easy, right? But this is what he's telling us to do. When you lie down, and, and, and that's, that's an easy one for some of us, right? The kids go to bed, we read a Bible story, we pray with them. That's, that's all good, right? It says so right here. When you rise up, something in the morning, conversation in the morning with maybe attitude. Keep going. You will bind them as a sign on your hand. Now, remember, we're talking about Jewish society, so this is talking about the physical responsibilities, but think of this from our perspective. What does this look like? What's usually attached to your hand, ladies and gentlemen? Your cell phone. And they shall be as phylacteries between your eyes, something that's always in front of you all the time. Does your TV does your TV love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? The things that your eyes are in front of? You'll write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What's the point? It's always in front of you. It's it's always in front of you. It's part of your everyday life. 
every minute of every day, your mind, your heart should be focused here. Does that mean that every conversation is going to be that conversation about your heart, your soul, your strength, loving God? Are you asking? Yes. Uh, not every, but you should have that in your response, maybe. Okay. It's kind of a loaded question, right? Yeah, yeah. Should it be in every conversation you have? Yes. Is it going to be overtly in every conversation that you have? Not, not, not likely. Not, but the whole point is this. Where does it start? Where? Wake up, folks. Where does it start? In the heart. So if your heart's not right, a lot of this other stuff ain't going to be right. It has to start here, dads. You notice where I'm pointing, dads. Has to start here. Not in that heart. Not in that heart. Not in that heart. Starts here. And if this is right, the rest of this has a whole lot better chance of being right. If this is wrong, and and I've heard this from three different biblical counselors in the last three weeks, I don't care how faithful mom and dad are to bring their child to get biblical counseling. If dad's heart is wrong and his actions are wrong in the heart, nothing I can do can help that child. Are you hearing me, dad? John MacArthur's article, in a way, was infuriating because ultimately he said in the article, if your children are wayward, it's your fault. I agree and I disagree. I agree because having been in a position where my sin has caused damage to my family to the point where my children walk away from the faith, at least in action, if not in word, I can look back and say, I I had a hand in that. But, I'm jumping ahead here. Ezekiel 18 makes it very clear. And this is specifically for you kids that seem to think that when Scripture said last week that dads don't provoke your children to anger, that means dad provoked me to anger, so I have a right to be angry. And God's not going to hold me accountable because it's dad's fault. Well, Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul who sins will die. Your anger, if it's sinful, (laughs) you deserve to die for that. But look what the rest of the verse says. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father, nor will the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. It doesn't matter if your dad made you angry or not. He'll answer to God for that, and you're going to answer to God for yours. So where do we start? Now, this is important. Jump to verse 12. So he said, if you do all these things, if you do all these things, sons, grandsons, daughters, granddaughters, you do all these things. Remember what God in verses 
10 and 11. Remember, God has done all of these good things for you. You get to verse 12. He says, then beware. Lest you forget Yahweh. Lest you forget the Lord your God. Why? Verse 15. For Yahweh your God is a, in the midst of you is a jealous God. And lest his anger be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Dads, that is an awesome responsibility and a potent, potent threat. Children, if you are not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength through your actions, through your heart, through your words, that's a potent threat. Being the shepherd of your family, dads. We talked last week about being the priest. Another word for that is shepherd, right? You're called to shepherd your family. You have to find a way for family worship to become real for your family. I'm not saying do what we had led off at the beginning with. But you have to find a way to talk about the love of God for in your heart, your soul, and your strength in the interactions with your kids and your wife throughout the day. Look for those opportunities. No, no, not look. Find the opportunities that God's already provided for you because they're there. Open your eyes. And then what does he say in verse 1? Do it. Do it. Okay? I'm, an, I'm, I'm done picking on dads. I've been picking on them for two days. I had one person I asked this week. I said, so um, what did you get from last week's lesson? He said, a punch in the face. Um, Sometime us guys need a punch in the face. So, moms, let's talk about moms for a couple of minutes. You didn't think I was going to let you off, did you? Uh, Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18. Then Yahweh God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The word helper means complement, not competitor. Dads, not competitor. A complement. That's important, right? Which means if God made our wives to be a helper, and God made our wives to be a complement, remember this is pre-Genesis 3. This is before the fall. So that, does that mean God created Adam to be able to do everything and have the ability to accomplish everything? No. And if you think that you are capable of doing everything, you got a big fall coming. If you're married, God has created your wife to fulfill a specific role in your life. And it's not because of sin. It's because God has created you to need someone else. Now, 
Then we run into the next problem. Genesis chapter 3 shows up, and the fall happens, and now those created deficiencies, for lack of a better term, because God didn't make anything that was bad, but what he made wasn't good, because he said it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis chapter 3 comes along, now your sin's involved, and now your deficiencies can become sinful. Which then just makes the challenge even greater, right? Think about Ephesians chapter um, 6 and Colossians chapter 3. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, Fathers, do not have your children be embittered to you. Where's mom? Why is he focusing on dads? Where's mom? Verse 24 in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One flesh. Um. So if they're one, that means their responses should be in agreement. If they're okay, if they're one, their responses should be one. Okay? This doesn't mean, guys, that your opinion is the only one that matters. Just because she's not mentioned doesn't mean she doesn't exist. You're mentioned first and primarily because you were created first. Remember, you were created, not you made yourself. Okay? So God created you first. That's why you have the first position. That has nothing to do with who you are as a man. That has to do with how God created you. That means that your wife has an opinion and a thought and not always... um, are any of us perfectly holy and, and understanding? But I will say, in my experience in 17 years, is my wife tends to think about things clearly, more clearly than I do. And whether I agree with her opinion or not, God needs me to hear her opinion. And if you don't feel that way about your wife then you are not loving your wife. Because 1 Peter chapter 3 says that you're to live with your wife in an understanding way. Which means your wife should always be free and not upset or nervous about giving her opinion to you about anything that's going on in the house. And people kind of poo-poo me when I say this, but... The whole thing of man, uh, man's headship and that the man is the ultimate head of the house. And if we can't come to conclusion, then I'm going to, as the man, I'm going to make the decision. In 17 years, I've never had to do that. And I can't think of a situation, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I can't think of a situation in the last 17 years where I would have had to do that. God's either going to change her heart in it or he's going to change mine. And I'll be honest, most of the time he changes mine. 
But if that's your mindset over your wife, you are wronging your, you are sinning against your wife. Yes, John. Often when I talk to Chris and I, even, but particularly with me, talking with a man who's married and he's got problems and issues, he comes to talk to me in some type of counseling deal. Um, it, often the wife, I find out, is much more godly than he is and much more spiritual than he is. Um, and so I, I often ask, I mean, I, really clearly, one of the first questions, what does your wife think about this? I mean, it's... And what's the usual response? Um, because he didn't even bother to ask. It's, it's, it's a key to understanding the role of the wife. Uh, ladies, I'm going to be honest. If you had somebody who... Remember the builder language from last week? To nurture and to cherish. If you were nurtured and cherished, ladies, the way the scriptures call you to be nurtured and cherished, if your husband thinks about you in an understanding way and responds about you in an understanding way, then when Ephesians 5 says, wives, submit to your husbands, do you flare up at that? Because there's no more being in authority over you. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Um, yes, I know I'm bouncing all over the place, and I'm sorry for that. But um, we have to come to Titus chapter 2 because I said we we're going to talk about wives or moms and what moms need to be doing. And in a conversation we had last night, this verse just popped into the conversation. I love the fact that when I'm having conversations during the week, it's usually conversations that come back to the Sunday school lesson. Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. So moms... And girls, who at some point in the future may be moms. Um, And I'm going to come back to the kids in just a minute. Um, But this is something you should be thinking about. Romans, uh, sorry, Titus chapter 2, verses 3. Older women, likewise. This first verse 3 here is talking about your behavior. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So that's just a... A picture, hey, this is how your life should look. This is what you should look like. Why? Verse 4. So, <coughs> they may instruct the young women in sensibility. You just breeze past that because look at verse 5. To be sensible. It shows up twice. Young women, you have a, a tendency to respond to things emotionally. And sometimes in that emotion, your senses kind of go by the wayside. And older women in the church, your responsibility is to come alongside these young women and teach them to be sensible. To love their husbands, to love their children. Now, some of you sitting here don't have husbands and don't have children, right? You don't have husbands and you don't have children. But the question is, what do you have right now? The question is, Do you ever plan to have one? Do you ever plan to get married? Do you ever plan to have children? Well, you know what? God's granted me the gift of singleness and I have no intention of ever getting married. Congratulations. Do you ever plan to work in the nursery? So what would it look like to be a mother? What would it look like to be a wife? And how do I get myself ready for that? 
Because if you're waiting until you're 18 to figure this out, you've started too late. And moms, you shouldn't be waiting until they're 18 to have these conversations. These conversations need to start happening when they're six months, seven months, three years old, five years old. How do you respond to men? How do you respond to this situation? How do you control your emotions? How do you allow your emotions to guide you into godly behavior? So that the word of God will not be slandered. It always comes back to that, right? What's God's word teaching us? Yeah, exactly. I agree. So, moms, I don't have much more for you. It's right there. That's what you got. So let's talk about children for a minute. You know what? Let's stop for a second. I had a question from another person this week. And as somebody, the phrase that was used was blended families. Um, I prefer not to use blended families. I prefer, Pam and I have talked about this. I prefer to use the term crockpot family. Because with a blender, you stick everything up and it chops everything up into little pieces. But in a crock pot, you put everything together and it slowly ruminates together until it becomes one. So remember we talked about Genesis chapter 3? Scripture never teaches about crock pot families. Because the expectation is what a family <coughs> looks like. So as a crockpot family, you can't say, well, Scripture doesn't talk to this, so I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. It tells you what a dad's supposed to do. It tells you what a mom's supposed to do. And it tells you what children are supposed to do. Follow the example that was intended. If you have questions about that, please come talk to me. Because Pam and I have fought this battle for 17 years. Children. So just quickly think about what have you learned about from Scripture about, about your dad or the other men in, 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 the, in the body. Think about that for a second. There to be a leader. There to be a priest. Somebody that leads me in God's ways. There not to anger me. What have you learned about moms? They're supposed to help you become the woman that God intended you to be. Sons, that your dad and your mom are intended to teach you to be the man that God intended you to be. So, let's look very quickly, Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3. And we're, there's not, Scripture doesn't spend a lot of time talking about children. Because it's pretty clear with what it says. Ephesians 6 1 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey, meaning what? Physical obedience. What they've told you to do, you do it. Why? Yes, that's kind of the that's kind of the additional piece to this. But why? 
in the Lord because God has commanded you to. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 6? Your dads have been commanded with threat of death (coughs) to lead you in His ways. Well, guess what? You have a command from God as well. You are commanded to obey your parents. That's it. You are commanded to obey your parents. In the Lord. Right? So if your parents ask you to do something that's immoral or illegal, immoral or illegal, and if before you say, well, this is immoral, make sure you go to an elder and ask them, is this legal? Is this immoral? Or is this just me being a kid wanting to get away from what my mom and dad said? you got six elders here who will be happy to sit down and have those conversations with you. If you think your parents are being immoral, But that's the only out you get. Obedience. Your actions. What you do. Now, for those of you that, well, I made my bed like I was supposed to. Look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. This goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So that it may be well with you and you may live long in the land. Verse 1 deals with your actions. Verse 2 deals with your heart. Comes back to the heart from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Comes back to the heart. Not just your actions, but your attitude. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. You notice it doesn't say obey your father only. Both Ephesians and Colossians. Obey your Parents, So maybe your dad is not being godly, but your mom is. You still need to obey. For this is pleasing to the Lord. Now, that being said, remember, you're responsible for your sin. Your parents are not responsible for your sin. You are. But the uh, verse that keeps coming back to me, for, for, for me, is um, Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Um, Proverbs speaks very clearly to you if you're somebody who deals with anger regularly. Children, 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 young people, adult uh, men who look like adults but act like boys. <clears throat> Proverbs 15.1 Gentle answer turns away wrath. It's a lesson that I've had to the hard way. Proverbs 15.18 Anger stirs up trouble. Proverbs 16.32 Again about being slow to anger. But Proverbs 19.19 for me is a game changer. Brother, um, sorry, helps if I go to the right verse. A man of great wrath will bear the penalty. Um, I'm going to come over to uh, 
forgot to write it down. Deuteronomy 21, and read this to you. Children, you need to hear this. This You think that I'm being over, overly dramatic about how your disobedience and your anger to your parents is, is a, an affront to God. It is an ultimate sin against God. Please listen to God's opinion of this in Deuteronomy 21. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son, remember the word son is Ben, so we can make that mean you two daughters, who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they discipline him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gateway of his hometown, and they shall say to the elders of his city, The son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not listen to our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city will stone him, and he will die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel will hear of it in fear. If you are a child of God, young person, you should see your disobedience to your parents as something that bears the mark of death. 2 Timothy 3.2 speaks to that. But Romans 1.28-32, please hear this. <coughs> and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do things which are not proper. Now, hear this list. Having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are go- gossips, slanderers, Haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Your disobedience in God's eyes is the same as killing somebody. It's the same as hating God. That is a dangerous place to be. So, I have here, <clears throat> these, are for, <coughs> these are for the young people. If what I've said has provoked fear in you, and rightfully so, I have something that you need to take and you need to talk to your parents about it. Ten scriptural convictions that children need to be taught. And I've sent this in the email, but I printed it out because it's so important. (coughs) One, the Bible is the inspired word of God and the final authority for my life. Number two, my purpose in life is to seek God with my whole heart and to build my goals around his priorities. Number three, my body is the living temple of God and must not be defiled by any lust of the flesh. Conviction four, my church must teach the foundational truths of Scripture and reinforce my basic convictions. Uh, All of you sitting here are as responsible for the people that are sitting around you. We are called to make disciples. And if you see a parent dropping the ball, say something. Number five, my children and grandchildren belong to God. Children, you belong to God. 
And it's my responsibility to teach them scripture, godly character, and basic convictions. Number six, my activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another person. Well, it's not. The Bible doesn't say that it's wrong. No, but is it making another brother or sister weak? Number seven, my marriage is a lifelong, lifelong commitment to God and my marriage partner. Number eight, my money is a trust from God. It must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. Number nine, my words must be in harmony with scripture, especially when reproving and restoring a fellow Christian. And I'll be honest, it didn't print number 10. So check the email if you need number 10. But here's a paper copy. Young people, don't wait any longer to be the man and woman of God that God has called you to be. And if, and this is a this is a tell on moms and dads. If you're not doing that for your children, don't be surprised when they go to find somebody else that will. <coughs> And you better pray that it's somebody that guides them in this and not what the rest of the world is saying. Because they'll take whoever's convenient. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We pray that this is hard, it's impossible but only through the spirit that you have given us in our hearts are we able to do these things. And if we find that we can't do these things, Father, help us to check our heart. Help us to make sure that we truly are repentant, that we are your children. Fathers, mothers, young people that are sitting here. Father, help us all to check our hearts to live faithfully, to trust you. Because in this world around us, it is chaos. You have, you have promised hope and peace if we will follow your example that you've laid out for us as families. In Jesus' name, amen.